And I want to uh, read verses 10 through 12. Um, the parts of Africa that, uh, that I've been in lately, they're beautiful. It's, um, um, it's very fertile, very productive agriculturally. Um, and in some ways, you could say it's kind of like the Garden of Eden. But like the Garden of Eden, there's snakes, uh, big ones. So one of the things that, um, that Rao Reaching Africa's Unreached does is they, they take medicines with them when they go in, and they supply the government clinic up in the mountains because the government never gets up there. So Rao supplies them with medicines. One of the things they supplied them with is antivenom kits. And um, the week before I got there, they saved three people's lives because they had that venom available. If you don't have the venom available and you get bit, you just die. But with the venom, anti-venom, they say three people were saved from that. And um, so they're doing a great work. There are other things that the venom doesn't help with. Uh, there's typhoid in the water. There's uh, malaria all around, those kinds of things, issues. Um, there was um, a couple of men that were going through the, the mountain passes, and they were attacked by a python. And fortunately, there were several people there. They were able to beat the thing off, but he had uh, broke one guy's ribs and uh, broke the leg and arm of another guy wrapping around him. And uh, if they had been by themselves, they would have been finished. Um, so it's, it's good not to go in there by yourself. <laughs> by yourself. So those are the things that are going on. Uh, it's not different than any, uh, anywhere else in the world. It's just a different kind. So we live in a world that's filled with um, places that are under God's grace and by his mercies could be a paradise. But in every one of these places of paradise, there are serpents, um, instruments of evil, wickedness, and deceit. And it's true within our, within our own communities, within our own churches, within our own homes, um, things that we need to be on guard of within ourselves. So I want to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, um, starting with verse 10. Paul is acknowledging this as he does in most of his letters in one form or another. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that's the only time, that's the only way that any of us can be strong with any strength that's going to be worth anything, is in the presence of the Lord. So put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, you need the armor. But if you have it, then you're able to stand. And so um, that's something that we need to constantly keep in mind is that uh, we're confronted here with a whole range of opposition here. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And if they're in the heavenly realms, we can expect that they'll be down here with us as well, and they are. Sometimes it can be the, uh, the outward physical forms of government, like in Jesus' day, where you had people like Herod and people like Pilate who were opposed to him. Sometimes it can be within the religious organizations, like the high priest and like the... Um, the Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus to be crucified. Sometimes it can be within our own midst 
um, 12 apostles, and one of them was named Judas Iscariot. And so there isn't anywhere that you can escape from this kind of uh, conflict. Um, Paul himself talked about fightings within and fears, fears within and fightings without. Um, if you read it carefully there in 2 Corinthians, he battled with depression or discouragement. Paul, the apostle. And so we think these are modern um, things that we struggle with. And maybe so, but um, uh, the people in Scripture knew those things. Um, Elijah, great man of God, powerful, uh, calling down fire from heaven, you know, raising the dead, healing the sick, all those kinds of things. He got fearful and depressed, and he sat down and he said, God, take my life. I'm finished. I've got nothing else to give. Empty inside. So these are men and women who are ordinary people like you and I, and they face the conflicts and the struggles that we face with on a daily basis. So Paul is writing to us as Christians and saying, look, we need to remember who we are, and we need to remember more than that. We remember who we belong to and who goes with us and walks through. Uh, watches over us and he's provided resources for us and we need to use them and take advantage of them and so we're fighting not against flesh and blood because all the attacks come from sin and the sin nature which is within us but these are spiritual principles and to try to, to combat those by our own willpower or our own determination we are doomed to failure we cannot do that uh, we are helpless in the, in the face of those. We can't control our own emotions and our own desires. How do we expect to deal with the problems that confront us or the, the problems that are arise with people that are close to us? Um, there's no way that we can deal with that on our own. Left to ourselves, we will fail. And sometimes as Christian people, we forget. And so we find ourselves in the midst of the crisis and we're, we're panicking and we're looking around or we're, we're fighting battles and we're losing and we get desperate and finally we remember, hey, I'm not by myself. The Lord has promised to be with me and he is here and there are things which he has done and provided for us and we need to remember that and take advantage of them. So you, you've heard the old, uh, the old adage, you know, you're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin. Do you find that hard to do? Love the sinner and hate the sin? Can you separate between the sin that the person is committing, especially when it's harmful to you, and love the sinner while they're doing it? Can, do you find that hard? As Christian people, do you find that hard? I struggle with that a lot. That's hard to do. But I, I, was, um, I was reading a, one of the stories that C.S. Lewis talked about. And he was talking about this very thing. He said, we've been taught all of our life as Christian people, hate the sin, love the sinner. And we find that hard to do with each other. We, we struggle. Hard for me when somebody's hurt me or, uh, or has been offensive to me to love, this, love the person while hating the sin and not excusing the sin or condoning the sin. And, uh, but Lewis says, you know, we do it every day. You do it every day. I do it every day. Because I'm a sinner. And I love the sinner. <laughs> and I may even hate what I'm doing. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Uh, the good that I know I'm supposed to do, I find I'm not doing it. And the sin that I hate and I despise in others, I find myself doing that very thing. As, 
This is the Apostle Paul. And he cries out and he says, I'm in anguish here. I'm torn apart inside. Who can, who can save me from the body of this death? And he answers the question, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And so he says, because of him, there's victory and there's hope. And so because of him, I can love the sinner, whether it's me or someone else, while hating the sin at the same time. So we have this hierarchy there that's, and Paul talks about it a lot. He talks about it in Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Peter talks about it. And they keep talking about these kinds of things that we are um, in spiritual warfare with and against. And he reminds us that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. And so he's dealing with the problems in the heavenlies. And through his Holy Spirit and through us, he's dealing with the problems here. And so Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.6 that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenlies. And he said that now through God's wisdom, his manifold wisdom, he's making known through the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenlies God's mercy and grace and wisdom. And he's, he's told us two or three times uh, in different letters that even angels are wanting to look into this salvation because Jesus didn't die for them. He died for you and for me. And God in his wisdom is choosing to work through us with all of our failures, with all of our weaknesses, with all of the battles that we fight. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul puts it this way. He's um, getting ready to talk about who he is and the ministry that he has. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 3. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so he's talking about the spiritual warfare. Um, that's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians, talking about the armor, uh, the truth, righteousness, the sword of the spirit, shield of faith. He's saying these are weapons that we have. Um, the word of God, written word, presence of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit being worked out in us and through us. Um, the truth of God's word that sets us free. Truth is a dangerous thing. We're happy to wield it for, towards other people. But when we start looking at the truth inside, that becomes a different deal altogether. And so we need to use it in both areas. And so, so far, he's been talking about... Um, these kinds of things, these kinds of warfare that's going on. And the scripture warns us to be careful about who we're fighting. Who is it that we're fighting? It's not the flesh and blood. If we try to, to battle it on the flesh and blood, we're not going to be very successful. 
So the battle is in the spiritual realm, and it has to be won and fought there. So um, when Jesus died on the cross, the real battle was fought in Gethsemane when he was wrestling with his father in prayer. That's where the real battle was fought. That's where the, the, um, the sins being placed upon him was beginning there in that garden. That's why he's sweating in the wintertime. And he's sweating drops uh, that are thick and salty. And um, uh, that's the intensity of what he is feeling and what he is experiencing in his prayer, talking to God. How do you pray? Writer of Hebrews says, You have not yet resisted unto the shedding of blood, striving against sin. I haven't hurt myself too bad, striving against sin in my life. I haven't. <laughs> so I was talking with some of these guys um, that have shed their blood and have scars. And it's a humbling thing to talk to men and women like that, that are putting their life on the line on a daily basis. And um, it was scary what God was doing in our conferences because Jake and I had talked about part of what we were dealing with, but we hadn't talked about everything. And um, the last part of the conferences, my part, uh, I was sharing with them from First Peter. First Peter is talking to the church that is going through persecution, severe persecution, and getting ready for more. When I had finished and Jake's part of the conference came up, he was beginning to talk about uh, a biblical concept of suffering. Uh, neither one of us knew what the other was talking about in those areas, and it dovetailed together perfectly. And um, uh, we were talking about it later, and because we're not sure why God was preparing these pastors for that and trying to equip them for that. So I don't know what's coming. I do know that um, there's a, uh, in addition to the, the civil wars going on around them, the tribal conflicts between refugees and people who live there, and that's starting again because of what's happening in South Sudan. The refugees are coming back, trying to find some place where they can be safe. Last November, last October, they had a war right there, a small one, uh, and they were driven away back to South Sudan. And so these people go over there, and people kill them, so they come across the river, and people kill them, so they go back, and, you know, and they're just trying to live. They're just trying to survive. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that's going on. Um, um, Pakistan sends 300 Muslim Muslims to that area every year, evangelists. We saw some. Driving down the road, there's this little village. The guy's up there doing exactly what we do, <laughs> except he was Muslim, sharing with them. And so, you know, there's things that are going on there, and there are things that are going on here. Uh, I know you've kept up with the news. Um, got the lady up in Kentucky. Um, county clerk taking a strong Christian stand and now she's gone to jail and that's what First Peter talks about you take the right stand for the right reason and you take the consequences whatever those consequences are and it's coming we'll see more of it um, in this country so we need to be prepared but we need to know where the real conflict is sometimes um, we get confused. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, the disciples had performed a tremendous miracle. God had done that through them. They're in trouble with, a, with the um, same group that had crucified Jesus just a few months before. 
But these people were being healed. They got thrown in, in prison. Um, and they were called before this group. But they didn't know what to do with them. So finally a wise man by the name of Gamaliel stands up. He's a teacher, uh, a respected um, authority in the field. And oddly enough, he was one of the uh, main teachers that Saul, later to become the Apostle Paul, studied under this man. Well, Gamaliel stands up in the Sanhedrin and he says, look, you guys need to be careful here. Um, he says, you need to listen to some common sense. He says, they, you need to be careful what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. This is right about the time just before Jesus was born. And led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. It's a wise man. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So in our struggles personally, uh, in our families, in our church, in our communities, in our state, in our country, who is it we're fighting And we need to know uh, whose side we're on. You have to know. You need to know where you stand. So we don't want to find ourselves fighting against God. And exactly that's the position that Saul, later to become Paul, was in, wasn't it? When God appeared to him on the road to Damascus, uh, Saul, Saul of Tarsus there, he was doing what he thought or had convinced himself was the right thing to do. It was his zeal for God, he said, was motivating him to persecute Christians. A lot like the Muslims, their zeal for God because they're convinced of the truth of what, they're, of what they believe because they haven't been presented with the truth. But when they're presented with the truth and the truth always sets you free, it's a challenge and they understand that. And then they have hard choices to make and many many, many are making that choice at great personal cost. They are choosing. You don't hear about it because it's not politically correct to talk about it, but thousands of Muslims are coming to know Jesus Christ now. God is still working. Saul was like that, persecuting, actively persecuting the church. He had convinced himself that this is what he ought to do. And he was very good at what he did. But when God appeared to him, when the Lord Jesus appeared to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul didn't even know who he was. And he, he said, well, who are you? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting because he was persecuting the church. And then he said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. So that's why I'm saying Saul had convinced himself that he was doing the right thing. I don't know about you, but if I want to sin, I can convince myself it's okay. 
Or if I can't, I'll say, well, I don't care anyway, I'm going to do it, you know. I can do that. I've done it. Um, but at the same time, um, God doesn't let us get away with that, does he? He convicts us because he loves us and he calls us back and he does it sometimes in a harsh way. Like Saul. Um, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad, you know, is a, it was a sharp pointed stick that they used to, um, to prod animals with to get them to do what they wanted them to do. God was telling Saul, I've been prodding you. I've been stabbing you and pushing you and you're refusing to go. So, I'll knock you down and take away your sight, let you know who it is you're dealing with here, and then we can go from here. And God will do whatever it takes uh, because he loves us. He did that because he wanted to use Saul, but he did it because he loved Saul. And the reason Jonah was in the belly of the fish was because God loved him. That's why he was in the belly of the fish. If that fish hadn't come along, he would have drowned. He was out in the Mediterranean Sea. And they had thrown him overboard. And I don't care how good a swimmer you are, uh, out in the Mediterranean Sea, it's a big sea. He would have died. And so this act of judgment from God became an instrument of grace, even to a man under God's judgment. So Saul was kicking. It means to kick with the heel. And he was resisting God. And God was poking him and prodding him. Sometimes as Christians, that's how we live our lives. It doesn't have to be that way. We can, we can walk in grace. But God's love and his mercy are there with us. And having said all of that, I want us to go back to the statement. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I want to stop right there. In the book of Genesis, we find somebody who's also wrestling. A couple of people. Um, in Genesis chapter 30, got um, a couple of women engaged in a great war with each other. They're sisters. Because of the hardness and corruption of their own father, he married them off to the same men. And whenever you have something like that, you can't serve two or three or four or ten, or in Solomon's case, close to a thousand. Uh, you can't serve that many. You're going to have a favorite. You're going to be one that you love and the rest you're going to use. And so these two women were fighting about who would be the favorite, who would be the one loved and who would be the one used. And so they got into, in their culture and society, baby wars. <laughs> and so the favorite wife was barren, racial. The used wife was very fertile, and she had lots of sons. And that was the conflict. So they, they brought their handmaidens in and, and got them involved. And um, no wonder Jacob was wrestling with everybody. <laughs> so what she ends up is she, Rachel in her desperation finally comes to Jacob and says, get me children or I'll die. 
And Jacob asks a question. It's going to be the same question that his son later on is going to ask of his brothers. Am I in the place of God? He is not the one to give children. God is. He's not the one to judge the brothers. God is. And so Rachel gives her handmaid to her husband and she has a son and she names him Naphtali. Naphtali means my struggle. It's, it's uh, Rachel's view, her, her version of Mein Kampf, Hitler's book. That's what it meant, Mein Kampf, my struggle. That's Rachel in the Old Testament, my struggle. Because she's struggling with her sister, she thinks, but who's the real struggle with? Give me children or I'll die. And Jacob's response, am I in the place of God? Who's she struggling with? Who's she wrestling with? Cain kills his brother. Why? Why does he kill Abel? Because he's mad at God. So he kills his brother. He can reach his brother. He can't reach God. We wrestle, Paul says, not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual contest here. We need to be careful who, we, who it is that we're fighting Later on in Genesis chapter 32, you remember uh, Jacob, he's lied and deceived his father, cheated his brother, had to leave. His brother's last time he saw him um, 25 years ago was he threatened to kill him if he saw him again. He leaves, so he's made his house and his whole family against him. So he goes up to his uncle and he runs into a guy who's just as devious and deceitful and manipulative as he is. And he runs into trouble there. So he, um, through treachery and trickery again, he's running back to try to go back towards home. He doesn't know where else to go. So he's alienated his family here. He's gone up here. He's alienated his family up here. Now he's coming back and his brother is coming to meet him and he's got a whole army with him. And... Now he's run and he's run and he's run and there's nowhere else to run. And finally, he turns to God. He's run a long time, years, his whole life running. And so he's tried to manipulate, he's tried to figure it out, he's tried to make plan B, C, and D. And at the night, uh, he finds himself alone. And starting with verse 23, after he had sent his closest wives and children, he sent them across the, the little brook here. He was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, this is not a boxing match. It's not a, a punching thing. It's not a martial arts kicking and all that. It's a, this is a wrestling match, a real wrestling match, where you grab a hold of the other person and you just grapple with them. And he's doing this all night. He is wrestling with this guy. And he is wrestling all night long. And it's going to come out that he finds that he's wrestling with God. So this was God's man. Called by God, anointed by God, going to use him to create a people, a people of God. And this man is wrestling with God. It's in the dark. He can't see who it is. He just knows there's a power there that is pushing him and he is pushing back and he's wrestling. Who are you wrestling with this morning? 
Do we need the armor of God because it's a wrestling match with the principalities and powers? Are we under attack? Is it God that we're wrestling with? Have we gotten it wrong and we're putting our emphasis in the wrong place? And God is poking us with the goads to get us back on the right path. Are we like Jacob here, wrestling with a force that we're not sure what it is, but it's powerful and it's taken everything that we have just to survive. And so when the man saw that he could not overpower him, God's grace, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. Now some of you guys are in, some of y'all are men and women are in medicine. I don't know anything about that stuff. I read this, so you can help me if it's right or wrong. It said that this muscle in your thigh is the strongest muscle in your body. And that's what he touched. And that's what he crippled. So he, he got Jacob and he touched him where his greatest strength was and crippled him. To where Jacob's not physically, he can't run anymore. And so now he's going to have to face his brother. And even if he wanted to, he can't fight. It hurts just to take a step. And God's got him where he wants to. Now he's in a position where he's in a place where God can bless him. And you know that's the sad thing about it? God's blessing was there for him his whole life. And he didn't have to do anything to get it. God had already provided for him. All he had to do was wait, keep his eyes on the promise, and trust God to do what he said. God has to cripple him before he's in a position that he can receive the blessing from God. So the next day he meets his brother Esau, and he wasn't sure what to expect. He knew that if Esau attacked and killed him, Esau would have been completely justified in doing that. Jacob knew that. If Jacob got what he deserved, he would have been dead, his family, possessions gone. Um, that's what he deserved, and that's, he wasn't sure, but he thought that might be a real good possibility. And what he found was Esau comes, jumps off, uh, off of his camel or horse, whatever he's riding. And he runs to his brother, embraces him, and gives him the kiss of fellowship and, and family on the neck. Jacob is blown away, expecting judgment and receiving grace. That's our testimony, isn't it, as Christian people? Expecting, deserving judgment and looking into the face of an angry God and find out that he loves us. And so Jacob says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Grace, unexpected, undeserved, forgiveness and reconciliation where he looked for condemnation and death. So who are we fighting today? We're all in a struggle, all of us. We are. We need to know who it is we're fighting, what our weapons are, are, what our relationship is with the one that's attacking us. The good news for us is that through the grace of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5, 
through the sacrifice of the blood of Christ, we have peace with God. And if we have peace with God, then His peace can not only be in us, it can flow through us. And where we go in the midst of strife and conflict, in the midst of death and suffering, we can be instruments of God's peace just by being there because He is in us. It's Christ in us doing His work, living His life, doing what He's always done. And He can bring order out of chaos. He can bring peace out of hatred. He can bring forgiveness where there is none. These are things that God does. And unless He does it, we will not do that. It's not within me to forgive anybody anything. But Christ in us makes us available. So this is why Paul says, I die to myself. I die to my desires. I die to my um, rights as an individual. I die to those things because when I do that, um, Christ in me is living his life through me. And so there can be peace. There can be security. There can be hope. And Peter writes, and he talks to these people who are being persecuted. And he says, you make sure when you're persecuted, you're being persecuted for the right reason. And when you're persecuted, and they are hurting you and cursing you and challenging you, you look at them and you love them with the love of Christ. And you speak blessing. And they're cursing and condemning and accusing. And he said, your response is your blessing. And then the very next statement, he says, therefore, be ready to give the reason for the hope that lies in you. And that's what they're seeing um, with these Muslims, these guys from members of parliament on down. They've been persecuting, opposed, uh, against. Now, these guys are coming and saying, tell us about Jesus. We want to know who he is. Come, you can speak in our village, in our marketplace. Come, you can set up right outside my mosque. You can set up right here. I will introduce you and let people know that you are welcome here in our village and in our homes. And I will tell my people, you don't have to be afraid to talk to these people. And they're doing that. That's what's happening. Uh, it's an incredible thing because it's the grace of God because when those guys were being beaten, they were blessing. And they had people around them, young men, who were ready to step in and defend them. And Godfrey, bless his heart, was down there being choked, beaten up, choked. He puts up his hand and he says he wouldn't let those guys come in. And he said, we are Christians. We're not Muslims. We bless. We don't fight back. Everybody in that town knows who he is. Everybody in that town know who's he, who's he is um, and now these same guys are coming saying please come speak we're ready to hear so Proverbs puts it this way when a man's ways please the Lord he makes even his enemies be at peace with him when a man's ways please the Lord makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we serve a living God and a God who loves us 
to equip us to overcome the, uh, the attacks of the spiritual forces arrayed against us. We thank you, Lord, that you give the strength and the courage and the hope and that you lift us up when we're in despair and you bind us up when we're, healing, when we're hurting and you bring healing when we're suffering. Thank you, Lord, for your presence which energizes and gives us the strength that we need, who gives us wisdom and counsel when we are confused and in fear. Thank you, Lord, that you, you promise to, to be with us wherever we are, never to leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to wrestle with us, to grapple with us, to poke us when we need to be poked, to guide us into the direction that we need to go. Thank you for your grace, Lord, that's greater than our sin. And thank you that we don't have to understand, we just need to know who you are. And so, Lord, we place ourselves in, in your hands at your feet praying that you would be glorified in us and through us, that you would minister to us, that you would overcome the things that, are, that we struggle with, that you would help us to look to you for that which we need the most. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.